The spring of 1940 looked to be the end of hope for many people in Europe. As Hitler's panzer divisions were sweeping across the landscape. They were mopping up what was left of France's troops in the spring of 1940. They were preparing now for the great siege of Britain that was to come. The Belgians and the Dutch had already fallen like dominoes. They left behind a force of only 250 British soldiers and another 250,000 British soldiers, another 100,000 Allied troops, but these troops were all pinned down now on the coast of the English Channel on the French coast near Dunkirk. With their backs to the English Channel and Hitler's vastly larger army just a few miles away, up in the hills, sweeping down upon them quickly, the Royal Navy was working to evacuate as many troops as possible from the shores of France. Tragically, the Navy had only enough ships to save 17,000 of the 350,000 troops that were stuck there. That would leave another 330,000 souls facing imminent capture or death. As Doug Bannister reports the story, the British House of Commons was being told to prepare the nation, and I quote, for hard and heavy tidings. And then, while death and despair advanced from the east, strange silhouettes began to appear on the English Channel's western horizon. The form of an old trawler slipped into view, and then a tugboat, and then a fishing sloop. Suddenly, the horizon was filled with the outline of hundreds of boats. There were sailboats and lifeboats. There were pleasure craft and island ferries. Even the America's Cup challenger Endeavor had come. All of these craft crewed by civilian sailors who had accepted the commission to go to the rescue. And as pilots of the Royal Air Force dueled in the skies with the German Luftwaffe, that ragtag armada managed to save 338,682 lives, bringing them all safely home to the shores of England and changing the course of history. When Jesus assembled that ragtag band of 12 disciples and gave them what we now call the Great Commission, these individuals were not trained soldiers either. They did not possess the knowledge or the practical skills that they might like to have had before setting forth on their journey. They probably felt pretty incompetent. They were no doubt scared when they contemplated the face and the force of a very large enemy. But Jesus insisted that he was sending them out on a rescue mission whose stakes were so high that they just had to push themselves beyond their comfort 
and their level of certainty and their feeling of safety. They simply had to rise to the challenge. Jesus called those disciples to go draw into his lifeboat precious souls, people who would otherwise be destroyed by the power of sin and death. And so from that shore, the ragtag band set forth and were used by God to save countless souls and to change the course of human history. Now is our turn. This pattern that is described in that decisive moment in the history of Europe, uh, echoing that even greater story at the turn of the first century, reminds us of our calling as well. Because as wonderful as the gift of life in our country uh, in this season of history continues to be, we are living through a very perilous period, if it's not immediately obvious to all. An aggressive spiritual enemy is on the move in our time. He is claiming territory and he is destroying lives. The conflict and the chaos in our political system at the present time, the breakdown in so much of our social fabric and our economic structures, the violence that plagues our cities, taking lives, as Nate described earlier, the fragmentation that we often are experiencing in our own families, the insatiable restlessness in our souls. All of these things are not accidents. They're not merely cyclical or seasonal or scientific or social problems. Not these things alone. They're fundamentally spiritual issues. There is this great war raging about us and within us that will not give way to ultimate peace without God's final invading action. But in the meantime, God is calling his servants. He's calling you. He's calling me. He's calling any of us who call ourselves his followers. He's calling us to go forth on a rescue mission. And that's what I want to talk with you about in my final message in this year-long study we've been on together. As we've been looking at the way of Jesus, I want to invite you to think with me about the Great Commission recorded in Matthew 28. I want to ask you to think about what it really means, what it's really saying, what our part is in it, what stops us from being in it, and how we can move forward. I say really follow this commission because most of us, frankly, are not doing it. I don't mean to be insulting about this. I want to actually be as understanding as I possibly can because I'm in it with you. But Jesus would not have had to say, therefore go, therefore go and make disciples if it were not a human propensity to stay right where we are. You are free to tune me out if you're the exception to this particular rule. But the vast majority of us in the American church today appear stuck in a fairly sedentary form of discipleship. 
I just think that, I'm just calling it as I see it. I think we're stuck. When I travel to other parts of the planet and I watch the church on the move in other parts of the world, and then I return to these United States, I'm stuck by how very sedentary, how very stuck is the American church. For example, 82% of unchurched or de-churched people surveyed say that they are actually very receptive to attending church if they were invited and escorted by a friend. And yet research suggests that only one in five churchgoers invited even a single other person to join them in their discipleship life last year. Just one in five. The average church in America, I know, I'm in part of one, is desperate for volunteers. Uh, it, just, it, it just so desperately needs help, practical hands-on help, to disciple the children and the youth of the church, and yet the typical response of people when they are asked to help out in even a very part-time way, just need you for one weekend a, a month, the typical response is, oh gosh, I'm not available then, it conflicts with this plan, or I did that when I was younger been there, done that, it's somebody else's time. Or when I come to church, I really need it to be for me. I really need it to be for me. Every year, pastors across the country introduce their congregation to study guides. Uh, They they encourage them to go form small groups to help make disciples, to help shape followers of Jesus. About 20% of churchgoers at tops respond to this call, about 80% ignore it. I'd rather just sit and soak than go and grow, seems to be the common attitude. Let me say it again. Jesus would not have had to say, therefore, go, if he did not understand that it is often our natural tendency to simply stay where we are. Now, I know I'm hitting us hard here. And I'm sorry if I'm sounding like I'm scolding. But I'm trying to capture what I perceive to be the imperative in the words of Jesus to us here. The first thing to know about the Great Commission is that it is a commission, not a suggestion. It is a charge. It is a challenge. It is a command. It is an imperative from someone who is, if we're followers of Jesus... Not our optional, occasional advisor, but our commander-in-chief. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, said Jesus. I don't know how a commander-in-chief makes it any clearer that he has in his hands the authority to command us as his followers. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus, therefore go. He's not saying, please entertain the idea of making disciples. Please consider the possibility that you might get around to making disciples. He's saying, if you're a follower of of mine, then get up and go do it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, says Jesus elsewhere. My mind's eye is filled with the potential of the harvest, Jesus is saying. Of all of those people who, if they came to me, would see their lives renewed, their souls saved for eternity, 
and become salt and light, an enormous influence in this world. The harvest is so plentiful. People so badly need what only I can give, but the workers are so few. The people willing to go out and, and draw folks into discipleship seem to be so few. People's eternal souls are on the line. Families, societies need rescuing. And so Jesus prays, and he encourages the disciples to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So I'm asking you to go out into the harvest field in his name. Be the answer to the prayer of Jesus and go. And make disciples, says Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples. The Greek word for disciple is mathetes. It literally means learner, imitator, follower. It does not necessarily mean somebody who has it all together, has all of the answers, uh, no longer has any doubts. We heard when he spoke to the disciples that some of them doubted. It simply means to make people who are on the way, people who are beginning to walk the walk, make people who will follow me step, even just a step at a time, says Jesus. So how do we do that? I mean, how do we make disciples? Practically speaking, how can you or how can I help somebody else become a disciple? How can we help somebody develop faith? How can we help them take on the life of Jesus? How can we make a disciple? If you are interested, if you're willing to do a little bit of work on this subject, if you'd like a very thorough response to that particular question, I would just urge you to pick up a copy of a book called Witness Essentials. Uh, Everything that I have ever learned about the subject of how to help somebody else cross the line, become a disciple, get into the journey with, with Jesus, everything I've learned in 30 years, I put into this book, Witness Essentials. Um, I don't know what you're reading these days. I, I don't know what's occupying your, your reflection time. But I just have no better way to equip you to actually be part of the disciple-making adventure than to encourage you to read this. If you want to help somebody become a new disciple, I just don't have a better resource to commend to you than to encourage you to read that book. If you're looking for a resource to help somebody who's already a disciple become a deeper disciple, you're going to make them a deeper disciple, then pick up Discipleship Essentials or The Essential Commandment or Leadership Essentials. These are all books we'll find. You'll find at our bookstore. You can get them online. They, They will be worth your time. They will help you make disciples. Before you go there, however, here are three crucial keys to making disciples. The books that I've mentioned to you a moment ago are just deeper dives into three big ideas about discipleship that Jesus lays out in the Great Commission. I want to just touch briefly on each of those big ideas with you tonight. First of all, Jesus tells us who we should be seeking to make a disciple. He tells us who our target is. Therefore, he says, go and make disciples 
of all nations. Of all nations. The Greek word for nations is gentes. And it refers not to a geographic country. When you hear the word nation, we think a country. Jesus is saying to us, go off to some other country, is what it sounds like. But the Greek word gentes really means people group. A people. That's all it means. When he says, go make disciples of all nations, he's saying, go make disciples of all kinds of people. Of every kind of, of group of people that you run into. I'm not just commissioning you to reach tribes in far-off lands. Man, if that's your calling, go do it. That's great. But there are people over there, disciples already making disciples there. I want you to think of all the groups of people you meet in your everyday life. Think of the faces of the people in your workplace. Do it right now. Think of somebody in your workplace. Think of somebody you went to school with. Think of someone in your neighborhood or in your club or your sporting circle. Think of somebody who's maybe loosely spiritual or not spiritual at all or or, or not connected to a community of faith. Think of them. I love those people, says Jesus. (laughs) I love those people. I mean, I, 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 I was there when they were conceived. I've, I've been present to every moment of their life. I've seen their heartaches and their hopes, and I know the good thing I can do in their life if they will come follow me. I need you to help me gain access to their heart and mind, says Jesus. I want you to start thinking about helping with that disciple-making process with everyone you know And everywhere you go, that's what it means to go make disciples of all nations. Once he's told us who to focus on, Jesus tells us, secondly, how that disciple-making process will move forward. Let me just say to you that in my own experience, I've, I've had the joy of helping folks over the years become disciples who had not been, and and very often. Uh, their name, their face, their story came to my mind. They became somebody I began to pray for, to think about intersecting and be cultivating a, a spiritual conversation with uh, for years. Don't leave planet Earth without being, say that you, being able to say that you're responsible for helping at least one person cross over the line and into that life-renewing relationship with Jesus. So after he's told us who to focus on, he tells us, secondly, how the disciple-making process will move forward. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, immerse them in the life of God. You want to help somebody become a disciple? Immerse them. In the life of God. When we baptize somebody during a church service, what we are really doing is picturing through a vivid physical act, sprinkling them with water, dunking them under the water. We're picturing a much more significant and all embracing spiritual reality. You see, baptism is not about having water splashed on you once. 
Baptism is about entering into the family circle of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is about entering that sacred circle and having your identity and your security and your values redefined by that new family membership. That's what baptism uh, is really all about. Discipleship is about being washed by God's grace and immersed in his love and living out of the center of God's life every day with everyone and everywhere. That's what it means to be baptized. It is that I now live out of this center. I live in this pool with these possibilities. And one of the most powerful ways that you can help make disciples of other people is by bringing them to the pool, is by helping them put their toe or their foot or their whole body into the middle of God's family circle. That is why inviting people is so important. You know, I can't do it. I can't be where you are. I don't work where you work or live where you live. We can, we can, the worship team can pour their hearts out up here and the Sunday school teachers can be all ready and, and the hospitality folks can be just warm-hearted and eager to meet. But unless you're doing the inviting and bringing people for a plunge in the pool, nothing happens. Invite your kids to the pool. Invite your neighbors and others to the pool. Bring them to the worship service you attend. Invite them to meet some of your Christian friends. Welcome them to join you in a service project you're doing in Christ's name or to go off on a mission trip or to do a devotion at your dinner table or to study a great Christian book with your small group. Every time you do these things, it's not just a nice social or religious act. It is a way of baptizing. It's a means of of bringing somebody into the name of Jesus, into the presence and power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is also why the way that you're worshiping God when you come to this place or, or the way you're welcoming the people around you or the way that you're serving people, or behaving when you're out in the parking lot really matters. This baptism thing is why all of this matters. Because the way you carry yourself and relate to other people affects others' experience of the temperature and the purity of the pool. Right? You're impacting that. It is part of the disciple-making process, what each and all of us do. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. I'm not sure Jesus could make it any plainer than this. How do you make a disciple? First, you immerse a person in Christ's family. You bring them to the pool. And secondly, you teach that person to align his or her life with more and more of God's ways. That's what obedience is, alignment with more and more of God's ways. What are those ways? 
What are the ways that we're trying to teach people to align with? Well, that's what we've been studying all this past year. And I hope that you have discovered for yourself afresh or maybe for the first time just how wise and good and sensible and life-giving this way of Jesus is. Jesus shows us a way of life, of faith, of love, of joy, of grace, of truth, of influence that is very different, substantially different from the way that people are being called to live in the world. The commands that Jesus gives us are not legalistic demands. They are not miserable uh, obligations. They are not weighty burdens. They are instead specific footprints that mark the way to the greatest possible kind of life. As we come to the end of this really long study we've been on, which of those commandments do you sense God is really calling you to put your weight on, to align your life with in a deeper measure? As a parent, I have learned the hard way that my kids almost always do as I do and not as I say, right? Infrequently, occasionally, they'll do what I say. Almost without fail, over time, they will pick up the pattern of what I actually do. In similar fashion, nothing so effectively teaches other people to either obey, align with Christ's commandments, or ignore them entirely as how faithfully Christians are living out these teachings in personal practice. If we want to make disciples, we must first live as disciples in these ways. What if everyone... What if everyone actually did? What if everywhere people actually walked the way of Jesus? Imagine a world in which every person in this room, in this church on a weekend, was living their life completely grounded in that circle of God's love and practicing everything Jesus had commanded with everyone and everywhere they went. Picture that circle expanding outward so that it was happening in every community of faith in America. And then those persons were so influencing their workplace and social circles that the limit of that circle was stretching outward, renewing life in homes, changing the experience of workplaces, altering the conversation in politics. Think how everything would begin to change for the better if the world was full of authentic disciples of Jesus. You see, we face the trouble and the turmoil that we do today not because Christianity has failed us. 
but because it has so rarely been tried. But once upon a time, the way of Jesus was tried. Once upon a time, a small, ragtag band of individuals committed themselves to the way of Jesus and to the rescue of others they saw caught up in the great war of their time. They went forth into the world, just a handful of them. They went out into that world baptizing and teaching, and God used their winsome witness to transform an entire empire. This needs to happen again. This can happen again. And it can start with the likes of you and me. For you see, I am with you always, says Jesus. I am with you always, providing the power required to those who open their hearts to me. I am with you always, even to the very end of this age. Please pray with me. Lord God, we we know that you know where each of us stands in relationship to you. You know, as no one else in the universe knows, how authentic is our discipleship, whether we even are disciples, whether we've even crossed that line. And so I ask you, Lord, to help us, wherever we may be standing today, to get up and to go, to move forward by faith, to step in the direction of your calling, to to, to provide uh, to those whom we meet those gracious invitations that draw them into the sacred circle of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the very way that we live our lives, by by our own practice of your commandments, teach through us, we pray, how blessed is the way of Jesus so that others long to walk in that way themselves. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.